0: Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the May 2023 Home Education Conference held in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. All right, my name is Trent Merrill, uh, as was said I am the father of five my wife and I have been homeschooling for about 10 years uh, I keep a golden retriever uh, many chickens at least we have in the past we're on the raccoon highway and our son left the door open uh, so we'll have chickens again soon but and a lot of bees I um, I taught a Georgics class in our local co-op one of the Lemmy classes. classes um, and this year I'll be teaching an a innovation course through the Well-Educated Heart Academy. Uh, and I have some information on the very last slide here if you're interested in learning more about that. I'm a patent attorney. I've been a patent attorney for about 11 years. Uh, I've worked for a lot of really fun clients, at least fun for me. Uh, some of which are included here. Align Technology, if you've had the Invisalign Uh, We've worked with a lot of the technology that creates the 3D models to build out your retainers. Um, Apple, Audi, Henkel, Oakley, Salesforce, uh, the bunch of balloons where you fill up like 25 balloons at one time. Water balloons uh, helped out with that. Anyway, I've, I've had a really fun career. It's been really interesting working with inventors, learning how they invent how they recognize problems, and what they do to solve those problems to carry the technology forward. And I think a lot of those things that I see inventors doing can happen in our homeschool classrooms. And so that's what I'm here to discuss today. Uh, But first, it's right after lunch, right? We can have a little bit of story time, relax. I want to tell you about a, a guy named Al. Uh, We'll call him Al. That's what his friends and family called him when he was young. But Al grew up, and if you know who he is, just kind of keep it quiet. You might. Um, He grew up in Port Huron, Michigan, which at the time when he was growing up, it was sort of on the wilderness or out in the frontier. But at that time, uh, homeschooling was not being, it was no longer common. Kids were going to public school. And Al was kind of an experimental curious kid uh, one one day he started a fire in his family barn and as fires do they grew and especially in a barn that's full of hay and has all of those other I guess not accelerants but fuel for a fire the barn burned down and I guess Al was not... He didn't have a lot, he wasn't sorry or sad for what he did. But his father, as you can imagine, was pretty upset. And when they asked him why he did it, he said, I just wanted to see what would happen. Um, it was, uh, another instance, uh, he had a favorite goose, and that goose was sitting on eggs, and he couldn't wait for the eggs to hatch. And he was frustrated thinking that the goose was just too small, the goose wasn't doing a good enough job at Hatching these eggs, and so he took a few biscuits from the kitchen, some bacon, or maybe ham, and went down to the chicken coop. Moved the goose off the eggs, kind of made a little way for him to sit on the eggs without breaking them, and sat there for the day, thinking, My body weight is bigger, I would produce more heat. I don't know exactly what he's thinking, but he (laughs) sat there. It came dinner time, his mom was looking for him, wondering, Where is Al? Started yelling for him, uh, eventually found him in the chicken coop sitting on the eggs. Said, Al, what are you doing? Come to dinner. And by that time, he was hungry, like most kids are. Uh, and so he, he gave up his pursuit of hatching the eggs that day. Um, and then another story Al lived near a canal, and uh, he was going to ice skate on the canal, and someone said, Stay away from this spot. Uh, it's it's the ice is very thin in that spot and Al being the experimentalist that he is and curious boy I mean we can all kind of imagine what happens right how close can I get to that before I fall in eventually falls in nearly drowns he has a whole bunch of things like this happen Um, and in school he didn't fare much better uh, he one of his teachers said called him a little addled so scatterbrained or confused just kind of out there not really with it um, his father thought that he was stupid uh, just this kid that he just didn't get it he asked all these questions why is he asking questions what's wrong with him and um, and the, the, some of the teachers told his parents that they should keep him in the streets. He'd never make a scholar. So here we have this boy. I mean, look, this boy there has all of these things going on. He's a little bit out there. Um, and his mom is not happy with the situation that's at school. So his mom buys or starts homeschooling him, which was unconventional where they were. Um, She starts reading to him the classics. When he has questions, she would answer them. He started asking questions like, what's electricity? Why does electricity work? What is pitch? How is pitch made? Just curious, wanting to know how things happen. And she ended up uh, recognizing that he really likes these experiments. She bought him this book, uh, and it's called R.G. Parker's School Compendium, Of natural and experimental philosophy. In that book, there were a whole bunch of experiments that they could do at home, Uh, one of which was how to make a homemade battery, uh, that you could use this battery to to make a homemade telegraph. So Samuel Morse had come several years before. This was now conventional wisdom or knowledge. And so Al, after reading this book, worked with a friend that lived down the road or across the woods or something, a neighbor friend, and they built a telegraph wire that went from his house to theirs, used their homemade batteries to send, you know, telegraph messages back and forth, sort of like the what you see in cartoons and things where you're speaking into a can across the way to your next door neighbor, uh, except a little bit more advanced, and in my book, cool, but they're... There's a lot of things that he experimented with from this book, and it, it changed his life. It, it was his way of learning. His mom knew it. His mom knew her son. His mom loved her son, wanted him to succeed, and knew exactly, or maybe not exactly at first, but got around to figuring out, how can I teach him so that he can learn? Um, and it said, My mother was the making of me. She was so true, so sure of me, and felt I had someone to live for, someone I must not disappoint. I think even there's, there are quotes, and I couldn't find it for this presentation, but he calls his mother his hero, for my, my hero mother um, saved me, or something like that. And Al grew up to be Thomas Alva Edison, probably... I'm I, the, be, the best inventor that's ever lived. Perhaps even one of the best innovators that have ever lived, and if not the best, one of the top two or three. So this is the boy. He now has, he invents the incandescent light bulb, or maybe doesn't, he doesn't invent it, but he invents an incandescent light bulb that actually works for longer than a few seconds, or for longer than uh, you know, a minute or two. He has various telegraph inventions, he's the first man that's able to, to send four telegraph messages over one telegraph at the wire at the same time. Before that they thought it was crazy, you could only send and receive, but with him you could send and receive four at a time. Um, he's the first person to ever record sound. So music, CDs, recordings, like he's the father of that whole genre of inventions. Um, with his phonograph. Um, He has cement works so that he could make prefabricated houses. And these are the number of patents that he received on all of these things. So this boy, who is a little scatterbrained, is better off in the streets than being in the classroom, um, who, I don't know, just had a lot of things go wrong for him and no one really believed in him except for his mother, and because his mother sent him on this new path, the direction she gave him, he becomes the father of modern innovation. He's—I mean, he has some flaws, but he is one of the 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 greatest Americans in my book. Um, he he created so many industries for us that we all benefit from now, and so that is just sort of the introduction for innovation what a mother can do the influence that she can have on her kids and so for the purpose of today I think if you read a book one book about innovation read another book about innovation everyone's saying innovation uh, and everyone has a slightly different um, different definition of what innovation means to them so for me and for purposes of, of the discussion today innovation to me is a way of thinking that creates something new and it might not be new to the world but it might be new to you or a new idea for you and better Uh, innovation is not changing something for the sake of change Uh, something's not going right so i'm just going to change it or i want something better so i'm just going to change it innovation is more of an intentional here's the problem here's the solution Let's go for it. Um, and so when I talk about innovation today, bringing innovation into our homeschool classrooms, I'm talking about intentionally looking for something that's new to us that might create a better situation for us, for our kids, for our families, for everyone that's involved in our circle of influence, really, might maybe our co-ops um, and other people we're working with. Um, One of the things that I came across, a a study, as I've considered innovation and how it can affect me, uh, I started reading a few books as I prepared for the innovation course I'm teaching. Um, And I was shocked to see this, but I guess I was shocked to hear about this study and the results of the study, but then I think back of my own educational experience and I felt like maybe I fell in line with this a little bit, and then figured out how I could change myself so that I'm not part of this. But this study said, after two years of college, nearly half of the students were no more skillful than when they began their studies. So they're beginning their junior year of college, and 50% of the kids haven't learned anything, any skill that's going to benefit them. Um, And then it it goes on and says, a fully one-third showed no gains After four years, yes. The date on that source. The date on the source, 2011, Um, and it's been cited a number of times since. And so I, I would, I would even suggest that the number might be less now. They, they suggest that this is, this is the result of kids in public schools being taught for the test taught for the ACT, taught for the end of year testing that the teachers are graded on, taught for those things. So they're receiving the information and they're learning how to game the system and regurgitate it for the test and not necessarily learning the skills of how to do it, uh, not learning the problem-solving techniques, not learning those things. So then when they get to the classroom and college, they don't have the love of learning yet, Hopefully they pick it up, and maybe that's what happens to the other half. They're really interested in what they're learning. But some of these kids are just kids that have learned how to game the system. And I, and I did that. I, when I was in high school, I learned... I was taking advanced courses, and I was taking a Math 1050 class at Bear River High School through Utah State. And my teacher allowed makeup exams. And after one makeup exam, I realized the exam is the exact same except a few numbers change so I would take the first test without studying get my score back and then I would memorize you know the steps to solve all of the problems for the second test so I wouldn't even study for the first I'd study for an hour for the second get an A and i mean, it looked like I knew all this stuff right and I went to college and sort of did the same and I felt like I graduated from my undergrad uh, without having a lot of skills. I think I had more than no skills. I had a few, one or two maybe. But then I went to law school and I, I figured out some, how much I love to learn when I'm really interested in what I'm learning. Uh, law school just opened my mind. Studying became fun. After law school I went back to get a computer engineering degree. That was fun. Now for fun, I'm taking an MBA course through Boston University. And just learning has become like this, it's alive for me. It makes me feel good to, to work my brain, to solve problems, to keep learning new things and opening new doors. And I think that's what's needed for our kids. So that we aren't just on this conveyor belt so that they're not learning how to game the system, but they can solve problems. They can, learn to, they can learn to love learning, and they can learn to use their skills and talents and apply it to subjects they might not love. Uh, in my house, the subject that is not loved is math. And so for me, how can I be? a lot of these questions come about, how can I be innovative to help my kids learn math using their skills and talents of, of things they do? But before we get to that point, I want to introduce this idea of Theseus's ship. Does anyone, has anyone ever heard of this, Theseus's ship? So, Theseus was a ship, and there's some lure, and I, I don't know all of the lure behind the ship, but in ancient Athens, the ship was really important to the people, and they kept it in the harbor as this remembrance or memorial of what happened. I apologize for not knowing. I should have looked this up. I know the story, but not well enough to regurgitate it or or to tell it. But this ship meant something to the Athenians, and so they kept it in the harbor. And as one plank would start rotting, they would come back with a brand new plank of wood, fill it in, exact specifications, same type of wood, and then the next year they would replace another plank. Next year, another plank. Next year, maybe the mast. Next year, this. So eventually, after thousands of years, or shorter, who knows, everything on the original ship had been replaced by something new. And so the, the Greek philosophers, um, it was something that, that one of their thought experiments that they would work on, and it was, so is this Theseus' ship? Or is this a completely different ship? We've now replaced every single board from the original, but it's still in the harbor. It's still our memorial. It's still the ship. So what is it? Which one is it? And this often happens in, in, uh, in the world around us. So one example, and this was taken from Clayton Christensen's book, How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, if you haven't read that book, it's really awesome. If any of you are looking for a paradigm shift in your thinking, if you feel like sometimes you're letting work take too much of your time and you want to reprioritize your life, read the book. It will help. It helped me. Uh, I was on a journey of going down patent law, working 70-hour weeks, and just realized I I really miss my family. They miss me, and we kind of uh, diverted my road. Uh, in and large, in large part because of that book. Yes. Yeah, Clayton Christensen. Uh, he's an LDS businessman, what well, was an LDS businessman. It's called How Will You Measure Your Life? Uh, he has a lot of great books, a lot of great insight. He taught at Harvard Business <laughs> School, a uh, really devout member. Um, and when we lived in New Hampshire and in the Boston area, this was a book that he gave to all of the missionaries to help. And their mission president would let them read it while they were on their missions. But Dell, the computer company, had their own journey on, on Theseus's ship. Uh, Dell, as you know, is a computer manufacturer. When they came onto the scene, they were innovative in their own right. They created a modular computer. So, So Dell back to Dell. They're on this journey on Theus' ship, uh, figuratively. They start out, they have this modular design where you can, if you want more memory, you pull out the memory card, put in a memory card. If you want this feature, pull out the video, whatever, video card and put in something else. So you could have one computer, but when you order it, you could say, I want this much RAM, I want this big of a hard drive, I want this graphics, I want this sound stuff, and all they have to do is pull something out, put something in, or I guess just put it in, in the first place, maybe not replacing. And they came onto the scene, and that was really revolutionary in their own right, uh, as far as what Dell did, and if, if anyone here works for Dell or is very loyal to Dell, they're a great company, I'm just using them as an example. Um... But there's this thing called RONA, return on net assets. So companies are measured in a lot of different areas and this RONA is one of them, where on the numerator of this ratio is the amount of money they're making. The denominator are the assets. And so if you can reduce the number of assets, then your ratio gets higher and your RONA looks better. And so what Dell did is, They started having ASUS, and we've all heard of ASUS by now. I think when they first came onto the scene, I thought that they were just this cheap knockoff manufacturer. What ASUS? What? Why would? Anyway, I've since learned that they're a good company, but when I first heard of them, I just thought they were another knockoff brand. But they started making the low-end, the very cheap uh, circuits for Dell. And then they started saying, well Dell, you know what, we've done our research, here is a motherboard, you should use our motherboard. And eventually, ASUS started making more and more and more p- parts of the Dell computer, until eventually, Dell had outsourced all of its manufacturing, and everyone was making something for the Dell computer, and the Dell computer, the only thing Dell about the computer anymore was the name and the company that was selling it and their trademark and their marketing. Um, Dell no longer had the expertise within the company. ASUS had the expertise with the circuits, the motherboard, these things. They had things that they're getting from Micron, they're getting stuff from all of these different companies, putting them into their computer, and they no longer had the expertise because they had outsourced everything. They had exchanged one plank after another, so their Theus's ship Theseus's ship—is it Dell or is it everything but Dell? Like, which is which? And I think that Clayton Christensen, in this book, talks about Theus's ship happening to our kids um, in the olden days. I think is what the term he uses. Um, we used to go out and help our parents in the garden. We would go and do all of these different... Dad's making this. We go... Everyone goes and helps him. Uh, So many things would happen in our lifetime. I learned how to work on a farm. And I learned that you can fix anything with baling, twine, and duct tape. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Like almost literally everything. Baling, twine, and duct tape. Um, And so you're, you're exposed to all of these situations where you have to think of a solution. You can't wait for this to happen. You can't wait for the mechanic to drive two hours to fix your tractor. You've got to do it. Or else you're going to possibly miss your harvest or you know maybe the neighbors come and help. And so what Clayton Christensen says we, we don't have these opportunities. Our kids don't have these opportunities. We're going from baseball <laughs> practice to violin practice then to young men and young women which is great. All these are great. Uh, but I'm just saying them to make my point. Um, we're so busy Going from one place to the other, they're gaining all of these talents, they're having all of these lessons, they're learning this stuff, they're increasing their ability, but that's where it ends. Um, and, And not only is that where it ends, but we're outsourcing a lot of the parenting, a lot of the value teaching to the baseball coach, to the violin teacher, to this, to that. And so they're very high on these resources, but they never get to the processes of how to apply it to different situations We learn lessons at baseball that's and that's great and for my family it's baseball and swimming We learn a lot of lessons swimming of pushing through hard things but we need to our kids need to learn how to apply those lessons to things not swimming um, and that's so what is done- when we only have resources, we learn these skills. Lessons are learned, but not maybe not applied. And it, our kids sort of become Theus's ship. Now their stern is brought to them by their baseball coach. Or, you know, whatever we're outsourcing things to our kids. Um, but by keeping them with us, by teaching them problem-solving techniques, by having them work in the garden with us, it's become so easy now um, and cheaper and time-saving to just pay somebody to come mow the lawn, right? Um, at least in my area, that's what I think a lot of people do just based on the the number of trailers and that are parked on my road every few days. Um, it's so easy to outsource some of these things. Uh, our kids are, are not having the ability to to do those things, like playing outdoors, climbing a tree, building a tree house. All of these opportunities that they can learn, um, they might get hurt and they might fall down, but but they'll learn something from it. Uh, I think that pain is a great teacher sometimes. You learn if you climb a tree and you decide to slide down, uh, you'll learn to not do that again. Or maybe learn a more creative technique to climb down. Yeah? To to, devil's advocate, to a degree, what's the problem? why I wouldn't want to teach winning and losing out to a a coach, Mm -hmm. but if you literally don't have the time to to mow the lawn, I don't see any problem subcontracting that out. I'm I'm a musician by trade, and there are plenty of things in music I do not know how to do, Mm -hmm. and it's way cheaper for me to outsource it than it is for me to do it myself. Yeah, and and I think that that, those are situations that would, for your family, you'd have to make those decisions. I mean, I'm all, uh, my kids play baseball. We swim every day. We do plays where we're, they're gone Monday, Wednesday, Friday from noon until 3 or 4 p.m. Um, I think the, the concern or something that we would just have to be mindful about is are, are, we, are we still a part of their life? Or are we still one of their primary teachers? Can we teach them problem-solving techniques? And sometimes the problem to be solved is, listen, I can't play the oboe. I, it's going to take me five years to learn for this one portion of the song. I'll go s- find someone that can play the oboe. I mean, that, that too can be the solution, right? I'm you with your analogy too. There's something to be said about the board you're replacing it with. Um, Like my kids, for example, they like to do sports. Mm -hmm. Well, I want my kids to do sports because I want them to learn healthy habits. I want them to learn how to work hard and get better, get up when they fall down, all of those things. My daughter had a softball coach who the resource that he provided was, we're going to yell at you until you win. That's a broken board. I don't want to replace that board with that. (laughs) She has a coach who loves God, is constantly trying to help the kids improve, and is building, like his goal is not to help them win, but to build their character, and then feels like when he builds their character, they improve their times. That's a board I want to replace. Yeah. I can't offer my kid. That's, and that's a great, that's great. I mean, outsourcing is, outsourcing is good. I'm not saying it's bad but for purposes of this discussion just we need to be mindful it's so easy I think it, and a lot of times we make the lives of our youth too easy perhaps yeah I th- when you were talking about the mowing example I thought you were saying there's teenagers that should be mowing the lawn when they're paying a professional to mow the lawn yes. and such because there's benefit to that youth learning more than just you know these really cushy experiences of expensive lessons and baseball practice, and that the hard work of the mowing the lawns is going to add benefit where our lives are so busy that we may not be giving them those types of opportunities. Yeah, that's certainly part of it. Yep. And we, so we need to be careful. We need to give them the opportunities to learn, to grow, to develop these mental processes, to develop problem-solving techniques through their, you know, the regular everyday life things. And, and on top of that, learn to prioritize. Um, I th- a lot of t- I'm, and I'm guilty of this. So I, uh, A lot of times the priorities are getting the kids to this practice and then that practice, and everything is, is for them. Uh, sometimes we need to learn what's at the top of our list, what things can be procrastinated and be okay, what things can we just drop. Um, because life is crazy and it just seems to get busier and busier uh, yet the younger generations are losing the skills and abilities to to solve problems um, in the in the workplace especially a lot of the younger generation uh, you run they run into a problem or an issue at work and they got to call someone to come help and fix it and uh, sometimes those are just things that 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 they could be doing on their own. Um, so why is innovation needed in our classroom? We need students that can think critically, think creatively, ask questions, even to a point where it might be annoying for the teacher, like Thomas Edison, for example. Uh, communicate effectively and then solve problems. Uh, not just students who can do well on a test. Uh, we need, They need to be learning skills. But how do we do that? Um, and this actually was taken... So this is the process. Most of this process is used by the inventors that I work with. And I'll kind of give an example here. But this was taken from finding strength in the Lord and emo, emotional resilience. So the church's emotional self-reliance, emotional resilience class. Or... Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's really simple in theory, uh, but extremely difficult to apply in our lives in all instances where it might matter. But I'll tell you, so right now I work for a company called Afino. It's one of the top 100 innovative companies in the world right now, according to some company, some people. And we work in the 5G... Uh, video compression and next generation Wi-Fi spaces so the inventors that I'm working with are inventing the things that help our phones talk to the cell towers more efficiently that will help our batteries last longer um, they can transport more information better And so what they do in my career in my job now uh, 5g is a standards-based, Technology. That means everybody who's making 5G phones or is saying our phone has 5G capability has to follow the standard so that they can be compatible with all of the different manufacturers. So if if Nokia is making the cell tower but Samsung has a phone, they need to be able to talk to each other, and so they meet together and they discuss what the standard should be. How should this interaction take place? And it gets into a lot of little technical details, and that's where the inventions occur. But ultimately, they meet once a quarter, and they call it 3GPP, that makes the standard. Um, They get together once a quarter and talk about the issues with the standard. Right now, the issue is this, and this is how we could fix it. And so when they when they talk about those things the inventors at my company go back to the drawing board and say okay here are the four options that they're gonna do to solve that problem if they choose option a then it's going to create five more problems if they choose option B it's gonna create four different problems and so they start inventing solutions for the problems that haven't been created yet so as this standard unfolds as the standard grows we try and be one or two steps ahead thinking about here's the problem if you do this then the cell tower and this phone are going to be out of sync or the cell tower and the phone will be in sync but then this phone and that phone across the room that it's trying to talk to won't be able to talk to each other it gets complicated on all of the technology (laughs) I'm I'm still trying to learn it all Uh, the inventors are brilliant uh, but the what they do is step number one what is the real problem the real problem if they implement this is the cell tower can't talk to the phone efficiently and it's going to drain the battery faster so what's the solution um, and what are the possible solutions which one is the best um, and it takes a real kind of a detailed analysis to figure it out now, converting this to homeschool speak, I guess, in my house, like I was mentioning, math is math is like the bad guy. When math comes out, everybody kind of like, oh, I've got to go to my room and get my shoes. I've got, and so <clears throat> at our house, the problem is how can we get our kids to be interested in math? It's needed. Um, it's important skill to have. And so what is the, what are the possible solutions? What is the real problem behind it? Uh, we have a 16-year-old that when he sees math, I think that his mind turns off. I'm the same way. Even though I have an engineering degree, when I see calculus, that integral sign, like I, it's like I have to take a deep breath or two, right? It's like, okay, I'm here. I can do calculus. The integral sign means this. And I have to try, kind of walk myself through it. Um, and our, we started thinking about how we can help our 16 year old. Uh, he learns a little bit differently. He loves books. And so he started reading Life of Fred. He took a year off of math, started reading Life of Fred. And that helped introduce the math in a different way that made it less scary for him so that when he picked up math back up, when he picked math back up the next year, it went smoothly. Uh, and he didn't have that. Uh, brain freeze or or whatever. And so, we we can get into more examples of this, but in my career, the inventors I'm working with, they will identify the problem, they'll come up with the solutions, and then we apply for patents on those solutions, hoping that one of them will become the standard, or when I'm not working with someone that is standard-based in the 5G, then what is the solution? Uh, One of the most interesting projects I worked on was with a drone company, uh, and they took, instead of having their battery in the very center of the drone, they took multiple batteries and put them out on the edges and used them as like the landing stands, and so they have all these batteries on the outside, and it was interesting to hear them talk about how uh, how they were solving the problem, that because by taking the batteries and moving them to the outside, they're co- kind of going against the laws of physics. It's easier to, to fly a drone that has a center of mass instead of the mass out on the outside. But it would allow their drone to fly for almost twice as long, which was important in their space. So they're thinking outside of the box. And then in this triangle, and I don't, maybe some of the inventors I work with do this. Uh, if, we, if they do, I don't talk to them about it directly. But pray for guidance. Decide. Then act with faith and if, if you have good results, keep going. If not, go back to the drawing board to to figure out what is the real problem, what are the possible solutions, and how can I do it. As you identify the problems and think of solutions, try and harness your inner Nancy Elliott Edison, Thomas Edison's mom, his hero. The one who saw where he was going, took him out of school and taught him the way he needed to be taught. Nobody loves your kids as much as you do. Nobody knows them better than you. I think intuitively we all kind of have an idea of what type of learning works best for them. And sometimes we just need a little bit of confidence and a push in that direction. And that's hopefully what I'm here to do is to help give you confidence and and an energy to try and tackle something that might be difficult or seem daunting. Try something new, Uh, try something hopefully hopefully better. If not, you'll have another opportunity to try it again. Um, Think outside of the box. I was just thinking about um, some ideas that I've had that we've not implemented at my house. Uh, Algebra sometimes is difficult. The question of if I subtract three from one side, why do I have to add it to the other side? like that equal sign right why do I have to do this to both sides why why do I even care what X equals and so I was just thinking of what's some what's an out-of-the-box solution if if you have a child that doesn't like math but is very hands-on or mechanical uh, maybe you could make a scale and include them in the in this Um, include your children in, in the solution work work through all of these steps with them but Algebra could be like a skill, right? If you take three from here and add it to this side to make things so that they weigh out and it's equal all the time on both sides. And eventually, when you have X, which might be in an unmarked bag contained weight or whatever, um, it would have to equal 15 or wh- whatever, you know. But <clears throat> those would be ways... It's hard sometimes to say, why am I dividing each side by three? Well, because. <laughs> that's that's how, I, how I tried to help my family. You just do it. That's why. You just do it. And so we, if we can think of out-of-the-box ways, mechanical, hands-on things that they could do, maybe that would help that young man or woman. Um, <clears throat> there are other things. Like I mentioned, my son... We gave him the year off of math. He read Life of Fred. When he came back to math, uh, it just it flowed smoother. He wasn't afraid of of seeing math symbols. He didn't kind of go into that place uh, where he had the mental block about it. Um, yes. What is life of Fred. Life of Fred? Is it it's that novel? yeah, yeah. It, and it's weird. He goes through. He's like a triangle head or something. He goes through. <laughs> like <you laughs> oh read what? this Sure. Yeah. mathematical equation. Like, it's all about, like, real life. It's just stories, stories about math. <clears throat> libraries carry it. Yes. Yeah. So if, if, it, if it might be an answer, you might look at it. Your kids might look at it and think, yeah, this is weird. Yeah. And it, it might, it, it is. And it might just be weird, but it could also be a solution. If you have someone that really loves computer programming, maybe you could have them program... Something in the process of programming it, they would learn the new technique. Maybe it's math. Maybe they would learn to program something that has to do with English or art. Or they could do... Create your own word processor. Like, not word processor, processor, but spell check. Like, do different things where you're using your talents and skills, something that they look forward to doing and is fun for them, to learn the hard things. Is there a way that they can work something out? If they really like art. It might be out of the box, but maybe they want to make art about math or English or something. Can they, can they make art out of diagramming a sentence just to make it more enjoyable so that they can still learn the techniques and skills that they need to learn, but using their talents and abilities, things that they like to do. Think um, Think big and think simple create benchmarks that you can measure I mean it it's important if you're going to go down a path you need to know when you've reached the dead end uh, that you're no longer on a path you're just kind of floating it's time to go back and, and recalibrate and start over and and start thinking about okay what is the problem why didn't this work Um, Failure is going to happen. It happens, and it's something that I think is on every homeschooler parent's mind, like every day, (laughs) of am I ruining my kids? Is this really the best thing? Is this, and maybe if it's not on your minds, awesome. It is on mine and my wife. And I think it's taken us years to be more comfortable with that and thinking and knowing that what we're doing is best um, and helping them do that um, <clears throat> if you involve your kids in the process if you help them realize okay we made this decision it felt right we're now a month into it it's not working let's circle back and start over that whole process is really an important thing to work or an important thing to learn because um, because failure does happen but we can learn from it move on um, and then Thomas Edison says when you have exhausted all possibilities remember this, you haven't uh, there there are more possibilities there are other things that we can do uh, Thomas Edison I'll just jump to it and then I'll go back to that he's famous um, failure is not final we can learn we can move on um, he had an assistant in his lab that was feeling pretty frustrated at the end they said all of our works in vain we've done this we've learned nothing when they were talking about which filament they that would work best in their light bulb and Thomas Edison's response said oh we've come a long way we've learned a lot we now know that there are two thousand filaments or elements which we cannot use to make a good light bulb how did it feel how did it feel to fell 1,000 times is what a reporter asked him I didn't fill a thousand times the light bulb was an in- invention with a thousand steps uh, Thomas Edison approach life like that I think it's a great example for us Uh, his lab everything that he had been working on one day was burning down and he had a lot of chemicals in it and as it burned each chemical burned a different color right and he had his kids with him and he said kids go get your mom this is something that we'll never see again so he was his whole work was in flames and he was like look at this this is cool I think that's an important mindset for us to have. Um, Failure sometimes is beautiful. We can learn from it. It's going to happen. We can't avoid it, but we can learn from it. We can move on. We can go and um, moving back to praying for guidance as we do this, as we work with our kids, as we try and come up with new things that will help them keep God in the loop. Uh, Just like Nephi's example, uh, he was commanded to build a boat. And to build it, he didn't work it after the manner of men. He would go to the mount oft to talk with God, to receive the next step. This is what you need to do. Go back and do it. Uh, And he said, the Lord showed unto me great things. I know that the Lord can show us great things with our kids. Um, I hope that as we've talked about these things today you felt the Spirit a little bit prompt you on how your kids could benefit from something new to you, something better, um, and something maybe outside of the box that you haven't thought of before or, or haven't wanted or have maybe wanted but didn't have the courage to try. Uh, I encourage you to follow that Spirit or follow whatever promptings you have. It says... This is from Elder Uchtdorf's last talk. I'll just read the second paragraph. He said, Sometimes we might wonder if someone else might be better qualified to guide and teach our children. But no matter how inadequate you may feel, you have something that uniquely qualifies you, your love for your child. Uh, I hope that our love for our children, just like Thomas Edison's mom that we talked about in the beginning, she knew him best she knew he wasn't addled or stupid. Um, she knew that there were great things in store for him. And, and she took the time to teach him the way that would work best for him. I hope that we can do that. I hope that we can listen to the Holy Ghost as Heavenly Father teaches us what we need to teach our children. And that as, I know that as we do so, um, we'll be blessed and our children will be blessed. It might not be the next Thomas Edison. But I think all of our children have great things in store for them, and and we are in the best position to help them achieve those things. And when we fail, it will happen. We just get back up and, and try something new. Keep going. Uh, I know that as we do that, we'll be blessed. Um, I, we have a couple of minutes left. If there are any questions, I'd be happy to answer it. Uh, if you're interested in the Well-Educated Heart Academy, uh, they have... We, they teach classes on algebra, physics, geometry, human anatomy, writing, digital art. There are a number of different options. Uh, you can find that there. I put a link to my course description where I describe what we're going to talk about in my class if you're interested in looking into it. Uh, any questions? All right. Congratulations. Another year down, right? Another LDSHE almost in the books. We've got another hour left, but uh, you, everyone, you guys are so inspiring. Thank you for the work you do with your kids. I know only a few of you are from my local co-op, but we are so blessed to have so many wonderful people to teach, to teach our kids. So keep up the good work. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Saturday St. Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.